0: This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our Top Stories A day after calling the Supreme Court's vote to overturn Roe v. Wade, quote, a tragic error, President Joe Biden upped the rhetoric. He said the court had made, quote, some terrible decisions, though his press secretary confirmed that he was not seeking to expand the nine-strong institution. His remarks typify the emotions unleashed across the country by the court's vote to end the right to an abortion. Crowds continued to gather outside the court building in Washington, D.C. and in cities across the country. Talks to revive Iran's stalled nuclear containment deal, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action could restart within days. So said the EU's top diplomat during a trip to Tehran, the Iranian capital. America has already indicated a willingness to return to the seven-party agreement, under which Iran constrained its nuclear program in return for sanctions relief. It was negotiated under Barack Obama, then abrogated by Donald Trump. Ukraine accused Russia of trying to drag Belarus further into the war after sites in the northern Ukrainian regions of Chernihiv and Zhytomyr were pounded by more than 40 missiles fired from Belarusian airspace. The barrage was launched shortly before the Belarusian president, Alexander Lukashenko, was due to meet his Russian counterpart, Vladimir Putin. Indefinite delays to expected deliveries of petrol and diesel have left Sri Lanka almost without fuel. The energy minister, Kanchana Sakara blamed, quote, banking and logistical reasons for the crisis, during which several drivers have died in queues at petrol stations. The crisis is one facet of an economic collapse which has seen the country's foreign currency reserves depleted by a combination of poor policy choices and external shocks. Japan experienced its hottest June day on record as the mercury in the central city of Isisaki reached 40.2 degrees Celsius, or 104.4 degrees Fahrenheit. In parts of northeastern China, temperatures reached 44.2 degrees Celsius, their highest ever. The temperatures are caused by a phenomenon called a heat dome, in which an area of high pressure in the atmosphere stops the air beneath it escaping. Two people were killed and 21 injured in a shooting in Oslo, the capital of Norway. Shots were fired at three locations, including a gay bar, in the early hours of Saturday morning. Police have arrested a suspect, but no motive has been confirmed. The International Monetary Fund slashed its economic growth forecast for America because of the Federal Reserve's swift increase in interest rates. The IMF estimated that America's economy would grow by 2.9% in 2022, down from its 3.7% forecast in April. Kristalina Georgieva, the organization's boss, said there is a, quote, narrowing path to the country avoiding a recession. And word of the week, Gairim wildcat miners in the Brazilian rainforests, among those groups most against any environmental protection of the forests. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. The G7 Meets in Germany Schloss Elmau is like a setting from a Thomas Mann novel, a retreat founded by an eccentric theologian at the foot of the Bavarian Alps. On Sunday, the G7, a club of big, rich democracies, will meet there to discuss their current reasons for existential dread. The most pressing is the war in Ukraine, but looming economic woes are a close second. Top of the agenda will be how to tighten sanctions on Russia, The leaders will also talk about measures to fight inflation and energy shortages, which economists worry could cause a transatlantic recession. Then there is the global food crunch. Germany has invited representatives of five democracies, all poor countries, as guests, hoping to use its G7 presidency this year to promote democratic values. But as in man's magic mountain, such aspirational talk will be overshadowed by the pervasive sense of malaise. The Comeback of Pride in America This year's Pride in New York certainly started with a bang. Madonna, an icon for the LGBTQ people, performed a surprise show on Thursday, flanked by famous drag queens. On Sunday, the Pride March will take place in New York City for the first time since the start of the pandemic. Denver, Houston, San Francisco, and Seattle will also hold festivities. New York's March, which attracts two million visitors, was first held in 1970 to commemorate the Stonewall Uprising, when patrons of a gay bar fought police after a raid. It was the catalyst for the modern LGBTQ rights movement. But the battle continues. This week, a library board in a nearby suburb voted to remove all pride displays and related books from the children's section. Some people are worried that, now that the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade, ending the constitutional right to abortion, there may be implications for other rights, including the right to same-sex marriage. Harry Potter's 25th Anniversary That a quarter of a century has passed since the world was introduced to Harry Potter, Hogwarts, and Quidditch feels like a spell in itself. Since the publication of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone on June 26, 1997, J.K. Rowling's seven-book series has been translated into more than 80 languages and sold more than 500 million copies. It is by some way the best-selling series of all time. The films have fetched more than $9.6 billion at the box office. Tours of the Warner Brothers studio and Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, a play, have become successful offshoots. But is the wizarding world's mass appeal fading? The Secrets of Dumbledore, the third film in Miss Rowling's Fantastic Beast prequel series, performed poorly when it was released in April. And it's not just fans growing weary. Some stars of the Potter films, including Daniel Radcliffe, who played the eponymous wizard, have distanced themselves from the author because of her views on transgender rights. The World Orienteering Championships Competitive orienteering combines the physical demands of cross-country running and the mental acuity of expert map reading. At the Sports World Championships, which begin on Sunday in Jutland, a flat region in western Denmark, orienteers from 42 countries will demonstrate their mastery of both. When the timer starts, racers collect a map and must navigate to a number of checkpoints in sequence as fast as possible. Courses can be urban or rural, with a variety of possible routes, A long race might last up to 100 minutes. A sprint could be as short as six. The championships in Denmark are focused on the latter. Short races on easier terrain make the choice of route crucial. At the first event, in the town of Kolding, teams will run a sprint relay through the streets. The competition then moves to an individual knockout sprint over several rounds in Frederica before the championships conclude on June 30th with a final in Weile. (laughs) Weekend Profile Emily Evis, the Glastonbury Heiress. In 1999, the 19 year old Emily Evis was training to be a teacher in London when her mother Jean fell ill. She returned home to Somerset to support Jean and Michael, her father, on the family's dairy farm. Tragically, Jean died while the couple was tending to the family's other business, the Glastonbury Festival, which they had run for nearly 30 years. This weekend, Emily is in charge of the pandemic-delayed 50th Anniversary Festival, which will attract over 200,000 revelers to Worthy Farm. In 1970, Michael Evis, along with Jean and some friends, decided to put on a music festival. In the 1980s, Glastonbury, named after a nearby town, became a near-annual event. As a child, Emily dreamed of having ordinary parents and fewer people camping in what was, in effect, her back garden. Some years were wild. She remembers riots on the site in 1990 and being shouted at in public by local landowners irritated by the crowds. Mr. Evis thrived on the risks of running a music festival while his wife was a nurturer, tending to spaced-out campers in the family's farmhouse. Ms. Evis takes after both of them, yet she never assumed the Glasto was her birthright. After deciding to help with the family business when her mother died, she began an apprenticeship of sorts in London, Organizing charity gigs with the likes of Coldplay and R.E.M. taught her how to persuade massive bands to play for fractions of their usual fees, a practice for which Glastonbury is well known. Gradually, she and her husband, Nick Dewey, a band manager, assumed bigger roles at the festival. A highlight was the launch in 2007 of The Park, an intimate space at Glastonbury known for surreal art and spontaneous performances. The 86-year-old Mr. Evis marked the start of this year's festival on Wednesday by opening the gates. He also still deals with neighbors. But these days, his daughter and son-in-law run the event and book the bands. Judging by Glastonbury's enduring success in an era of proliferating festivals, they do a fine job. Tickets are like gold dust. The festival costs £40 million, or $49 million, to put on. And around £2 million of the profits go to charity. Despite its continual expansion, Miss Evis has made the festival greener, safer, and cleaner than ever. Even the burger vans of old have been usurped by fancy cuisines usually to be found on the high streets of English cities. Miss Evis' musical choices face more scrutiny than her father's ever did, but despite some grumbles—in 2015, many festival-goers were furious when she booked Kanye West, a hip-hop artist—she has remained broadly loyal to Glastonbury's traditions. The Evis family has always had Catholic tastes, ranging across pop, folk, blues, rock, and dance. And Glasto's success has enabled the festival to cater for all of them. Over five days this weekend, the punters at Glastonbury will watch more than 3,000 artists perform on over 100 stages, from Paul McCartney to a Ukrainian folk quartet. Keeping them happy is a full-time job. (music) The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Maznun Bujang, Kuching, Malaysia North America, Joel High, Silverthorne, United States Central and South America Gerardo Garnica, Mexico City, Mexico Europe, Ian Basford, London, United Kingdom Africa, Nils Pierce, Kwadukusa, South Africa Oceana, Max Yao Li, Christ Church, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of Carrie Fisher, Stand By Your Man, Salem, The Misery Index, and Shining Path. The theme is Stephen King Novels. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, Here's the quote of the day from Babe Didrikson Zaharias, who was born on this day in 1911. The Babe is here. Who's coming in second? That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app.